just sort of funny as we start. I, I lean over to my wife and I said, hey, I, um, do you have a, a drink of water? Do you have any water on you? And she said, I do. And this is be indicative of my stage of life that I'm in right now. I do, but it's in a sippy cup. <laughs> so um, anyway, if, you're, uh, if you have young kids, you know that stage. And so did I get a drink? No, because I'm a grown man. <clears throat> cannot drink out of a sippy cup. Anyway, um, hey, if you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be continuing our series that we're calling Fully Alive, and we love that imagery of the song that it says his love is waking hearts to life, that it's, that it's speaking life, that it's creating something out of nothing, that it's making something that's dead alive. And we've been sort of framing the whole book of Ephesians like that, because that's really the message of Ephesians, is that the glory of the gospel wakes hearts to life, that it makes dead people alive. And that's where Paul continues as we get, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 today. And as I looked at this passage and studied it, um, I had an experience just last week that sort of came back to mind. I had gone down into my second office, um, Solid Grounds, and got a cup of coffee. And um, James, who's our manager down there, he says to me, Hey, Ryan, um, I don't know if you heard, but um, we, uh, we got into seminary, uh, Alicia and I. And I thought, no way, because um, here, here's sort of the backstory. The backstory was that they had um, gone, he and his wife, James and his wife, Alicia, had gone to college in um, New Zealand um, and moved back here. And because of sort of the system of education there, that it didn't take as long for them to complete college there. Not a bad idea. Um, so... And so when they transferred back, initially, uh, they applied to Denver Seminary, and they got denied. And um, so James is working here at our coffee shop, and his wife, Alicia, is working at the coffee shop that we have down in the seminary there. And one day, an old Scottish woman walked into the coffee shop in the seminary. And Alicia struck up a conversation with her, and they just started chatting. And, and this woman asked her, so what's your, what's your plan? She's right here, so if I get this wrong, she's going to go, uh, What's your plan? What are you up to in life? And Alicia said, well, you know, we were, my, my husband and I were going to go to seminary, but because we went to college in New Zealand, the credits didn't transfer right. Aaron. He's good. I'll keep him around. Thank you. Thank you. The tra- because the credits didn't transfer right, right, and so she said, we're sort of up in the air, just asking God what he wants. And this woman says to her, well, that doesn't sound right to me. So she talked to her husband, Dr. Richard Hess, over at the seminary, who's one of the most prolific scholars at the seminary right now, does a lot of writing. He's sort of, he and uh, Dr. Blomberg are sort of the two top dogs at the seminary. And that evening he walked into the admissions board and encouraged them. My guess is how that went. Strongly encouraged them that James and Alicia should be accepted. And not only were they accepted, but their application fee was waived. Man, isn't that? And it reminded me of a, of a key principle in life, of a key truth. And you, you probably know this if you're in business at all, if you're in networking, if you market, if you do anything like that, that there's a principle, and it goes a little bit like this. It's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. See, you don't know Richard Hess, and you may not get into Denver Seminary. You do, and you get in, and they waive the application fee. 
I, I think that's true not just for those of you who are in business or those of you that interact sort of in the, in the public sphere, but it's true for you spiritually too. In fact, who you know, I think who you know in large part determines the course that your life takes. It determines, it determines who you know determines your capacity for joy. Who you know determines how full of a life you're able to live. I don't know that there's anything more important about us than who we know. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is the way that he starts. He says, now... I say this and testify in the Lord. So that's his way of saying, hey, listen up. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So so here's what he just said. And and, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, this, this idea of walking and the way that we walk and the way that we live should make our minds jump back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul encouraged us, live in light of, live worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk according to the calling to which you've been given. Let the gospel press on your life in such a way that it determines the way that you live. And so 16 verses later, he's going to sort of jump back to this idea of the way that we walk and the way that we interact. And he says this, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Now this was sort of his dump truck term for anybody who's not a follower of Jesus. So he says, right off the bat in this scripture, in this verse, all right, there's two ways that you can walk. That you can walk as one who doesn't know God, and that's going to lead to certain things and a certain way of living. It's going to lead to a certain capacity for joy. It's going to lead to a certain fullness of life that you're able to have. Or, or you can walk as one who does know God. Who does know God. See, I don't know if you knew this, but... Who you know is one of the most important things about you. Who you know. And see, this is the way that he starts off this passage. And I think if we were to sort of draw out a main point, it's this. is that every life, every single life in here, every person sitting in this room right now, every life is either an outflow of knowing God or, or the prevailing void left without him. Now, I know we might start to squirm a little bit. Especially if you invited somebody, you're going, it's not usually like this, promise. <laughs> and here's the deal. Let me just take a quick time out and say, hey, I get how sort of un-PC that statement is. And here's it. If you're not a follower of Jesus right now, one, I want you to hear very clearly, we are so glad that you're here. And we hope this place is filled more and more and more with people who are pre-believers. But, but, I also want you to, before you just sort of write us off as being narrow-minded, and the scriptures as, as not applying, will you let these few verses press on your life a little bit and ask the question, is this, is this true of me? Just, just some, some sort of heart analysis. Is this, is what the scriptures say about me true? Is my life an outflow and a byproduct of a void left because I don't know 
the God of the universe who created me. See, here's what the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 3 says, is that every human being was created with a desire to know God. He, uh, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes uses the term that we are created with eternity placed in our hearts. And so, Paul agrees. And he says, you can walk as the Gentiles do, and, and that's sort of out of a void. Or, you can walk in the fullness of life that followers of Jesus experience and live in. And so here's how he unpacks this passage. He's going he's gonna, to, and you see in your outline, there's sort of a progression that happens, but it's not completely in order in our sort of English Bibles. And so I'm going to unpack that for us a little bit. Verse 18. He says this about the Gentiles. They are darkened in their understanding... Right, not exactly the feel-good passage, but here we are. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And I want to walk you through this progression because I think it's, one, it's so true. It's so true. And it's ironic, too. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And so embedded within this little progression that he talks about of, of non-believers, of, of Gentiles, quote-unquote, any one of us, believer or not, can fall into this pattern. Can fall into this pattern. And here's what he says. So there's this progression. They, there's futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God due to, due to the hardness of their hearts. So here's what happens Here's what happens, is that when we're not in the right relationship with God, the first thing that we see is that our heart becomes hard towards Him. And Paul says, listen, that's where this all starts. That's where this sort of, this downward spiral starts, this lack of fullness of life. It starts in our heart. It starts in our affections. I love the way that Jesus says this. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, he says this. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. What comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart. So if you want to get a good read on sort of the temperature of your heart and where your heart is at, whether it's soft towards God or cold towards God or hard towards Him, look at the words that you say. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But he says, but to eat with unwashed hands, which was what the debate was about, that doesn't defile a person. See, Jesus says, and the Apostle Paul agrees, everything that you do is an outflow from your heart. I think if we were to sort of picture it, I, I think it looks a little bit like this picture of this iceberg. That there's certain things on the surface that we can see. There's anger, there's impatience, there's a but you can list a bunch of them. But do we ever take the time to try to think about what's going on in our heart and what's going on in our soul that's driving us to say things, to do things, to think things? Do we ever start to look a little bit deeper? And you see, that's why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus that we, we cannot just acquire information. 
We can't just continue to go to the buffet table of more and more classes and hear more and more sermons and expect to be changed because what changes us, what has to change us is it starts with a heart that says to God, I love you. I'm captivated by you. I need you. You're good to me even when there's nothing good in me. And I don't know about you, but I'm so quick to jump to let's work on behavior. Let's try to change a few things here. When what started this whole mass was the fact that our hearts are hard and cold to him. You see, we worship, and this is why it's so important to keep a read on the, the sort of the temperature of our heart. We worship our way into sin, and we worship our way out of it. We worship our way out of it. It's all about our heart. That's why paying attention to the heart is so important. That's why being captivated by the love of God, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, that's what changes the heart. And that's why we keep pushing back to that. Because we can work on behavioral modification our whole lives and get next to nowhere. Look at the way that he continues. He says this. He jumps back into this progression. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. So here's a progression. Those who, those who don't know Jesus, who are left with this prevailing void that he created them to be in relationship with them. One, our hearts grow hard towards the God of the universe. And two, our minds are darkened. Um, I'm going to say it like this, that we become blind to reality. Blind to reality. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that if we're not in relationship with the Creator God who made everything, that we would start to use the things that He's created for our good. And if we're not in relationship with Him, that we may start to use those in other ways. They're darkened in their understanding. They they don't know how to grasp fullness of life. It would be like, it would be like trying to take advice from me on how to work on your car. You pop that hood, I look in, I can see, I can tell you it looks clean. Or a little dirty, you may want to pressure wash that bad boy. But other than that, other than that, I have zero clue how to work it. Look at the way that Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, in their case, talking about unbelievers, the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel. The glory of Christ. See, when our, when our hearts are cold, when our hearts are hard, our minds become dark to seeing that Jesus is good. That, that he is better than anything else we could ever get in this world, that he satisfies beyond anything else, that he's better than any car we could drive or any house that we could live in or anything, you name it, he is better. And when our hearts grow cold, our eyes grow dim. And so we start to live in this reality and and we start to dabble in this world in a way that never brings fullness of life and never brings hope. And here's why. He goes on to say, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. So here's the progression. Here's the progression. A hard heart leads to 
not seeing the world as it really is, not being able to interact with it in a way that would bring life because we're disconnected to the God that created it all and wired us the way that he wired us to lead us in the fullness of life. And he says now, we're alienated from the life of God. That's a scary statement. It's a really scary statement. Because what he designed to bring us fullness of life because of the fact that we don't see him and our hearts are cold towards him and we don't act in the reality and the way that he designed us to live. We become severed from, cut off from, like walking over to a light that's plugged in and just unplugging it. Severed from life. And so here's what happens in us. And I wrote up here that the progression is we start to pursue things as God that aren't God. Because of that longing, because of that void in our souls, we know we need something. See, every person understands that they need life. And when we're cut off from the author of it, from the giver of it, we start to scratch and we start to claw and we start to say, all right, then, then, then sex is going to be my God. And I'm going to chase that as much as I can. Or money's going to be my God. And, I'm gonna, and I am going to determine to make a lot of money. I'm going to drive a nice car. I'm going to live in a big house. Or we start to say, I want to be famous or whatever it is, right? Whatever it is. Probably in the suburbs, it's I'm going to have a perfect family. And what happens is we start to put these things in the place of God that aren't God because of the void that we feel and the lifelessness and hopelessness that is gnawing at our soul. It's gnawing at our soul. And here's the lie that many of us believe when it comes to this idea of fullness of life. The lie that many of us believe in this pursuit of things that aren't God as God. Because they always let us down, don't they? Like, they never deliver on what they promise. And our thought is, more. If I, had, if I had more of what I already have, then I'll be happy. Just a, just a little bit more money. Just a, maybe a different partner. A different, what, whatever. You, you name it. You fill in the blank. But the idea and the thought is more. But it's all rooted down to this idea and this core conviction that every single one of us has in this room and that it's, we were created for fullness of life. It's why we keep chasing. It's why we keep thinking that more of what we already have is going to make us happy. I like the way that Henry David Thoreau said, said it. And he said that most men, most people live lives of quiet desperation. That there's this quiet, yet persistent belief, there's more. There's more. And I want to chase it, and I want to find it. And instead of turning to the God of the universe who designed us for that more, created us with that capacity, and created us to receive it from Him, we chase things that never bring us life. You can read about the same progression in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. But being cut off from the giver of life, from the author of all life, and knowing that you have that void is terrifying. It's terrifying. So we'll do whatever we can to get out of it. 
and more of what we have, what we already have, is usually where we go. And so, here's the way the progression continues. So, a hardness of heart leads to we don't see reality correctly, which leads us to be cut off from the giver of life, which means that we need to find life somewhere, so we chase it in other things, and here's where it leads. They've become callous, they've given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice every kind of impurity. And so here's what Paul said, is that that eventually leads to moral decline. Which aren't we, we're great at that portion of it, aren't we? I mean, we can tell people what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong with the best of them. Here's the a, a problem, though. Here's the problem with that, is that there were one, two, three things that led up to that before that was even an issue, before we could even see it. So, how much good does it do to curb behavior if we still have a cold heart? See, you may change that behavior, but something else is going to pop up. Something, so you're, you're going to play that game at the arcade with the little hammer and the alligators that pop up. Boom, 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 boom. Your whole life. Your whole life. Why? Because the core problem in all of humanity is a heart that's cold towards God. Let me reiterate. The scary thing about this passage is he writes it to followers of Jesus. And he says, don't walk like that. Don't, don't live like that. There's a, there's a better way is what Paul's writing. And here's what I, just, I want to say to you this morning. And I don't know how you come in these doors and how this sits on you. But I just want to ask, how's your heart? Are, you, is it stir, are your affections for Jesus stirred? Do you, do you love him today? Are you drawn to him today? Do you long to worship him today? When you came in here, were you like, thank you, Lord. I've been, wanting, I've been worshiping this whole week and it's nice to be around other people where we can join in unison to declare that you are good. See, even some people who know him, who know Jesus, our hearts grow cold and our eyes grow dim and we get cut off from the life that he promises us and we start clawing for other things. And I love the way that Paul writes to correct us. Because that's what he does. Is he writes, he writes to the church, he writes to speak into this progression and to say, you are not a slave to this anymore if you're a follower of Jesus. You're not a slave to the lie of more anymore. You're not a slave to having a cold heart which exhibits itself in a ton of different ways. This is what he says, but you Sorry, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That's a weird, isn't that, that's a weird statement, but you did not learn Christ. And I went back and I studied that a lot this week because it's strange in the English translation. It's stranger in the Greek. It's, it's, it's next to nowhere else in ancient Greek where you can learn a person. Because he, he intentionally does not say, and you learned about Christ. You learned some information that really just changed the way that you live. That's not, that is not his point at 
awe. His point is, you step into a relationship with the life-giving God of the universe. To learn about Him is very different than to learn Him. To learn Christ means that we're knowledgeable of His person and we're aware of His pursuit. That in spite of us, in spite of a, a coldness of heart, He's chasing, He's Furious, His love is strong, it's wide, it's, it's chasing after us. And what Paul says to the church is, don't forget, don't forget that you know Him, that you, that you learned Him, that you are aware of the God of the universe that makes things that aren't are, that breathes life to dead things. Don't forget, church. Don't forget. Here's what how I would summarize what he says. The believer's life is defined by, is made by, is all about the presence and the work of Jesus. Why? Because it's all about who you know. He says, you you learned Christ. That's why Paul can write in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, but everything that was to my... Profit was gain. I now consider loss compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. I love that Paul says, does not say, I, 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 I love knowing about Jesus. I love taking classes to learn about Jesus. I love that he doesn't say, I love, everything's a surpassing loss compared to the things Jesus gives me. No, 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 no. Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of just simply knowing him. But you have learned Christ. And I think we say a lot of times, I think our default is, amen, now I get to go to heaven and not to hell. True, but not his point. Not his point. Because heaven isn't for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is for people who are madly in love with Jesus. Because it's all about him. It's all about him. And I think our default is often, okay, great, now I don't get, I don't have to go to hell, I get to go to heaven. But it's so much more than that. You're invited into life today. And the truth of the matter is, is that the the road to joy, the journey to joy begins with a person. It doesn't begin with a principle. It doesn't begin with a behavior. It begins with a man and his name is Jesus. And he died to purchase you out of that cycle of lifelessness that we just talked about. Because here's what his pursuit does, is it turns the hard heart soft. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. That he's good even when we're not. And it softens us. His his grace means that he has given us unmerited favor. See, you're called to know him before you're called to do anything. You're called to know him before you're called to do anything anything. And that means that knowing translates into life abundant and life full. Look at the way that Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says it. For if by one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more 
will those who receive the abundance of grace, don't you just love that it's not like enough grace to get us by, but it's an abundance, it's a, it's a lavishing, it's a fullness, a drenching in grace, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness that we can reign in life. That's good, isn't it? That's really good. It's not just saving us from hell, it's saving us to life, out of the futility of having a hard heart and blind eyes that lead us to chase things as life that never deliver. And he says now, because of the grace and the goodness of Jesus, when your hearts are captivated by him and you're drawn to him, you get to reign in life. I love the way that Paul says it again in 2 Timothy. Just so you know, it's not just a one deal thing, one verse thing. He says this, talking about salvation, which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life. Just so you think he's not just talking about heaven. He says, and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you know that it's all about who you know? That because you know Jesus, you're invited into life through the gospel, through his gracious pursuit of you in spite of you, not on your best day, but on your worst day. You're invited into life abundant and life full out of the vicious cycle that springs forth from the void of not knowing him, the hard heart, the, the dim eyes, the, the lifeless pursuits. And he says, no, 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 you are invited through the gospel into life. Into life. You say, Ryan, well, what does that look like? I'm really glad you asked that question. And here's what he says. So how does life come through Jesus? And he says, that you are taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You were taught to put off your old self. Now, now here's the great thing about this. As I first read it, I thought, okay, how do we do that? And as I dug into the Greek a little bit this week, this may not mean a whole lot to you, but my heart just jumped because what I found out is that this is an aorist indicative in the Greek. Turn to your friend and say, this is an aorist indicative. Here's what that means for you. Here's what that means. That means that this is something that happened in the past tense. That's true right now, today. It looks like a command. Put off the old self. Try really hard. Put off the old self. That's not his point at all. His point at all is there is an old self and it's gone. And church, remember, remember, you're not chained to the, to the lifeless cycle that the Gentiles are. But church, remember that you are free from the emptiness of your former way of life. It's not a command to do anything. It's an invitation to remember. It's an invitation to remember something that is 100% absolutely true about you if you're a follower of Jesus. I love this idea of the former life because in Christianity, a former life is possible. That means that you don't always have to be addicted. That means that you don't always have to be chained to the things that have you down. That means that there's hope for new 
thought cycles, for new, uh, new, new habits that bring about life, that means that the, a new life is possible. A former life can be a reality and in fact is. Now, the best way to make this not true about you is to believe that it's impossible. It's to just believe that it will never happen. But there's a reason that Paul says, listen, I want you to just stop and I want you to sit in the goodness of the gospel that your old self was put off. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Many of us love it. Many of us have, have memorized it. And very few of us live it out. It says, there's therefore, no, that's not, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new is gone. I think the lie that the enemy would love that you would believe is that you will always be who you think you are. That you'll always be chained to whatever you're chained to. And what Paul says is, no, when you met Jesus, you were freed from that and invited into a system of life. You were invited into a way of belief and a way of living that brings wholeness and completeness. The enemy would love to speak and whisper into your ear right now, it's true of everybody else except you. Or you can believe it in theory, but you'll always be who you are. If that's what you're hearing right now, can I remind you? You can tell him, yes, I will. I'll always be who I am. And who I am is redeemed. And who I am is holy. And who I am is a son or daughter of the king. And who I am is pure and spotless and blameless before the throne of God right now. You're right. I will always be who I am. Thank you for reminding me. That you put off the old self. And I love how he says, that's being corrupt through its deceitful desires. Desires that promise something they will never deliver. That's what a deceitful desire is. It's, it's the lie of more. It's the desire that holds up something and says, if you... Come after me, I'll promise life. And when you do, you realize it only brings death and pain and hurt and regret. He says, you, 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 that, that person died. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is a, not the, if, if you don't care, just check out for two seconds. But this is a, a passive, meaning it happens to us. Present, meaning it happens all the time. This is constantly happening to you. And so here's what I think Paul is saying to his church. He's saying, you are currently right now being transformed by the Holy Spirit as he reminds you of what's true about you. You're constantly being transformed. A lot more we could say about that. But we won't. I, I will say something, though. The way that you think has a lot to do with whether or not you re-enter into the cycle of futility or experience fullness of life in Jesus. The way that you think, and here's the deal, the Holy Spirit is pouring out his love into your hearts, Romans 5 verse 5 says, and you have a choice. You have a choice of whether you're going to say, I'm going to fully embrace that and I'm going to live in it, or am I going to reason myself out of why that can't be true? 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that we're commanded to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's the way that our mind is renewed. He says this, and to put on, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Once again, this is an aorist indicative. I won't make you turn to anybody and say it again, but it means that it's already true. It's not a command. It's not something that you are called to do. It's something that you are invited to remember. It's the same side of that other coin, one that we, that we put to death the old man when we trusted in Jesus and we were invited out of the cycle of death and futility that many of us experience. And he says, and you've been given newness of life. That you have been created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That there's a new self. Man, if there's anything that I want to impart to you, anything that I want to encourage you, it's that you would start to actually believe and function as though you really are convinced that this is true. That there is a new self. I'm not chained to sin. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to righteousness. There's a reason that the book of Romans tells you, consider yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Why? Because we forget that that isn't our master anymore. And what Paul says is, listen, it's all about who you know, and because you know Jesus, there's a potential for a former life. There's potential for present renewal. And there is the truth that you are not the person that you were. You are not the person that you were. I love it that he says that you were created. Here we go. If you want to follow along. You were created... You're a new creation with a new nature. I don't know if you caught this though, but he said, in true righteousness and holiness. Will you circle the word true and underline righteousness and holiness if you have your own Bible? Because here's what Paul's saying. This is great. He's saying that you aren't people who are made new and are trying to be righteous and holy. He's saying you're people who are made new who are righteous and holy. Uh, maybe an amen? And that's, is that not, that's great news because it's not that we're created new and God gives us a pep talk and he says, all right, now, now go and, and prove that that's right and go and earn that. He says, now, just live in it. Enjoy it. You have right standing with God. You are righteous. You are holy. You stand whole and perfect before him right now. And what Paul says to the church at Ephesus is, if you want to walk, not as the Gentiles do, but as people who know Jesus, you've got to be convinced. You have to be convinced that there is an old life and you are currently being renewed by his spirit and you are different. True. Actual is what, the, is what the word literally means. Actual, real righteousness and holiness. You're not trying to be it. You are. You are. And if we, man, if we get this, it will 
radically change our lives. And Paul goes on to talk about the ways that it will. We're going to start talking about it um, in a few weeks after Christmas. I hope that you'll be here as we unpack it more. But let me pray for us as we close.